Hi there. Welcome to Falling Up Radio. My name is Michael Harris. This show is about a show about inspiring everybody to really live life to your fullest. Now, it doesn't matter where you've been. As a matter of fact, if you've fallen hard, you're probably pretty human and, and pretty normal. And that really gives you a place to have a clean slate and to start all over again. You know, I've crashed in my life too, crashed and burned. Um, I'm, I'm doing a, a little here uh, promo for my book, of course, Falling Down, Getting Up. This book was number one in stress, yoga, and recovery. And if you want a free free copy, just go to fallingdowngettingup.com. Really easy to get a book. Now, today's guest, I want to get to today's guest to have as much time as we possibly can with her. I came across our guest a couple years ago as a result of seeing a video online that she did. And it really reinforced everything that, that I had been doing for years. Um, I'm not going to talk too much about that because the introduction that I have for this incredible guest that we have is long. So I'm going to highlight some and then I'm going to bring her right in so we can have a discussion um, about her. So Jessica Shainian, did I pronounce that right, Jessica Shainian? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's a mouthful. Jessica, yeah, it is a mouthful. But, Jessica is a dancer, was a, a dancer and an error, say it. Aerialist. Perfect, <laughs> thank you. in the last name, right? Yeah. Jessica has performed internationally on stage, musical theater, TV, and she became crippled by over 20 chronic symptoms. And it was predicted that she was going to lose her career and that she would have to deal with pain her whole life. She visited numerous health professionals without much relief. And then she discovered the work of an individual named Dr. John Sarno. Now, some of you may have heard of John Sarno, but I want Jessica to tell a little bit more. And very quickly, and you'll be surprised how quickly, she had a full recovery. And now Jessica's the spokesperson for what's called the Tension Myoneural Syndrome Awareness Association and created Got Pain Cure, which is an educational web series on mind-body disorders. Again, I've got pages of this stuff, of everything she's done. She's Outreach Director of the Psychophysiological Disorders Association, which is really a health education association for health professionals to understand mind-body disorders, as well as individuals perhaps like you and me. Jessica, I'm going to stop there because I don't want to take all our time just telling everybody who you are. I want you to talk to us and talk to the listeners about who you are and what your story is. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Tell me, I mean, if you don't mind, I want to dive right in. Yeah, go for it. You, you were a dancer, and at a pretty young age, you started getting some different symptoms. Tell us what happened. Tell the listeners what happened. Yeah, you know, I was a dancer, like you uh, introed me, since I could walk. So since about three years old, my dad put me in dance. He figured that's what 
girls with lots of energy playing dress up in the house, running around should do. Mm-hmm. He had no idea I would take it as far as being a professional dancer. And in his mind, he was kind of like, oh no. Uh, so I pursued that route. It's a very tricky career path, uh, extremely competitive. And I just danced nonstop. And I was always a perfectionist uh, mm-hmm. to the point where when I was getting ready for this interview today, I actually remembered in sixth grade, I don't know if you've ever done this, when you write a letter to your future self and then later in your years, they, they ask you to read the letter. And so my sixth grade self wrote a letter to my future self. And when I read it, it began, Dear Jessica, are you perfect yet? Mm-hmm. And it all the ways that I expected myself to be the principal of this ballet company and all these amazing things. And it finished with P.S. If you quit dance, I'll kill you. Now, I did not mean it as a joke at the time, but that really makes me crack up now just to think about how ridiculously perfectionistic I was at what, 12, 11? 12, uh, sixth grade, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm a recovering perfectionist now, but that played into a lot of why I'm here talking to you and why I had so many debilitating symptoms and why it was so confusing as to how to recover. So I did have a very successful dance career uh, performing around the world, Um, but dancers are always in pain. To some extent, pain is just kind of a normal part of the process. We're all kind of used to it. And so in hindsight, I had chronic pain since about age 13, uh, in which I would be unable to dance for maybe a class or maybe a day or maybe a week at most. If I can stop you for a moment, was that like back pain? Was it hip pain with ankle or did it just move around? At 13, it was more, uh, I had shin splints and I was new to point work, which is where you're on your toes. So a lot Um, of ballet. Right, there was always that like physical cause for everything. Like, oh, it's because of this, it's because of that. I actually didn't have as much back pain, definitely no hip pain, but. I actually also didn't really suffer from back pain at that time, which is why even though I had, there's always pain when you're dancing and performing to the point where at age 15 to 17, I was being considered for full knee reconstruction surgery, and which I don't mention any of my videos that you've seen. <laughs> and the doctor at the time said that, you know, we're going to hold off until you absolutely cannot walk until we go through the, with this surgery because then you'll never be able to dance again. At best, you'd be able to walk. So I held off on the full knee reconstruction surgery and continued to be prescribed uh, to take the highest level of painkillers every four hours, pretty much forever. And that, again, was kind of normal. But it was in 2013 when I was at the height of my career, literally performing as an aerialist 50 feet in the air internationally, that I became so disabled by not just chronic pain, but incredibly scary gastrointestinal issues Mm -hmm. that uh, seemed really threatening to my life. I was bleeding profusely internally, Mm. uh, intestinally to be more specific, and I wasn't able to digest food. I I became underweight, which was not normal for me, even as the ballet dancer. Would you call it anorexic or was it? No, no, no. I I was choosing to eat and I physically couldn't digest food. Mm. I swear that whatever I ate seemed to have been put back together when it came out and thus wasn't very comfortable. So I actually, uh, I thought I had food allergies at the time too. There was a lot of confusion for what was causing 
the intense back pain, hip pain, intestinal bleeding, uh, intestinal obstructions and dysfunction, and more symptoms kept piling on very quickly. So I actually had to be sent off of the cruise ship that I was performing on because you don't have that much medical care on a ship besides triage, uh, life or death. So they sent me back to the U.S. to do three weeks of physical therapy for the two herniated discs that they found at that time in my lower back, L4, L5, and L5S1. I'll jump back and forth, but fast forward two years later. So, but but you had the surgery? No, 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 no. I. Long story short, but again, I can mention the lead up to it. I avoided not only a low back surgery, a microdistectomy with hemilaminotomy, um, with also I was supposed to get two um, hip arthroscopies bilateral, possibly a spinal fusion if the arthro of the microdistectomy didn't work, and I was also being considered for an intestinal resection because that's how bad my GI system was failing. And were, were you thinking at the time, or were the doctors telling you this is all because of your dance? No, 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 no. Well, certainly they didn't think that the intestinal issues were because of my dancing. They didn't know what that hip, the knee, all these things. The, the orthopedic issues they assumed were because of dance or just because of the later it was found I had at least four levels of herniated discs, two in my neck, two in my back. My hips were completely torn with my cartilage. My knees are messed up. So they just assumed, oh, because you were a dancer, you accelerated this degeneration in every part of your body, and you need multiple surgeries to try to reduce pain. Uh, But none of them were optimistic that even with the surgeries, I would ever dance again. And how old were you at this point? 26. Wow. So very young to be needing not only orthopedic surgeries, but a possible intestinal resection. Yeah. And again, those weren't, the the GI symptoms were pretty bad. So even though the pain was so intense to the point where I would be completely unable to process being awake, sometimes it was too Mm -hmm. painful. I was far more scared, which increased the symptoms of the fact that my legs would completely go numb for up to 18 hours at a time couldn't feel below my waist and they would collapse and I would wet myself or I kept having symptoms of heart attacks and full body convulsions, which I was told are actually tremors, not convulsions. So big difference there, but they, they resembled seizures and heart attacks. So I had that nonstop uh, pretty much for about two years. Mm -hmm. So I kept thinking in those moments when I'd be rushed to the ER Mm -hmm. that I kept thinking I was going to die alone, and, and it, that wasn't a really pleasant experience to go through over and over with ER doctors mm-hmm. and urgent care and trying to call my mom on the phone at the time because I'm just there on a hospital bed thinking like, this is it every time. This is it. So, yeah. How many, many times were you hospitalized? How many? How many? Oh, I, I don't have it with me. I have it in storage, but like a two and a half inch thick binder of all the medical records just from the two years worth. Wow. Uh, So I can't even count off the top of my head. I spent most of my days either in doctor's offices, hospitals, ERs, urgent cares Mm -hmm. uh, for the bulk of those two years or therapy, some type of an appointment. Yeah. 
Wow. So that was your life. Yeah, that that was that was my life. And Didn't it was work or do anything. Right. And that is one of the questions that because I was on workers' compensation, which really complicates things, you don't have a choice of which health professional you see and in what order. Uh, because I was performing at the time, so my employer had this workers' comp that wasn't so great. And they kept having to ask me for their forms, are you working? And I kept saying, no, I can't even sit, stand, walk, exist. I can't control any part of my body. And were you, were you using a walker or a cane or a chair or anything at any time? No, because oddly enough, a wheelchair would have hurt my back too much because of the sitting. Mm. And leaning on something would have hurt my hip too much by the standing. It really was this all at the same time mess that yeah. nobody knew what to do with me. And even at the time that I was in physical therapy at the best physical therapy uh, center for dancers, it's known for that. It has the best reputation in the very same hospital where Dr. Sarno worked by really? the way. Yeah. They had no idea about tension myoneural syndrome, AKA psychophysiologic disorder, not a single idea. And when they were treating me, they said, we actually don't know what to do with you, but you are not in a physical state where we can continue physical therapy because you are such a medical risk. And I was also too much of a medical risk for surgery, which is why I didn't get the surgeries. I was lined up to it, but they couldn't yeah. perform on me because they thought I could have died. <laughs> so. I'm glad I avoided the surgery in the long run, but at the time it just felt, I just felt scary. Yeah. 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 It it created this situation too, where I talk about it more. And after I recovered, I was so surprised that I recovered so quickly. Uh, We can kind of get to that later, but I decided to make a, YouTube series, just kind of using my experience as a performer and actor and host, just to put the information out there where people like me could have found it sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people watch YouTube videos and they Google their symptoms. So my thought was, I just want to put this information out there to at least give the opportunity for someone to say, does this apply to me? Let me see a doctor. Or let me apply this to myself. Or give, um, give some hope. Yeah. Uh, because essentially... It just seemed like I had to do that because I actually, it got to the point with my medical crisis that I was full on planning suicide and not just because I was depressed, but because, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this, unfortunately, not everyone has money when you can't work for two years. And if there's, you know, (laughs) so I was actually scared of not just myself becoming homeless, but I was really heartbroken and scared at the thought of bankrupting my mom. She couldn't financially care for me. So I was actually really planning on a way to end my life so that I don't ruin hers, which obviously in hindsight and after talking with her, she's, she knew all about it afterwards, after I stopped planning, that that would have been a terrible idea. But um, at the time it seemed like this is what it's I have reasonable. to do. Yeah. Like a way out. Yeah. Well, just when you, don't when everyone's telling you you don't have a way out and they're just saying well you'll just have to live with it sometimes i know i get this way i just kind of go devil's advocate and go or and i just try to think outside the box but uh there is another solution and that's why i'm so passionate about letting people know 
there is another permanent solution for their temporary and permanent seeming problems. It, it does, you know, that's not the only solution and it's not a good one. And hopefully other people can avoid it too. I'm really grateful I did. And so was my mom. Yeah. Well, I, I am too. And then I'm grateful for you to be here to share your story. And I mean, I was in a position one point too, where the doctor said that I was toast and, you know, I was going to lose my legs and my life and all this other kind of stuff. And I found another way and I left AMA against medical advice and, and found a different way, which is similar to, to your path. And that's what attracted me also to you is that we, we found a similar path, a similar way of thinking that helped resolve those particular issues. Yeah. So, it, but <clears throat> go on. So, so now you're, you're past the idea of suicide. Yeah. <laughs> what, 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 what happened next? The only reason I got past the idea of suicide, mm. I was really close to that mm. point of actually doing it when uh, my social life kind of crumbled because I wasn't that much fun to spend time with when I couldn't walk. Uh, and I tried to be as upbeat as possible. And if you can't tell by looking at me, I tend to smile even when I'm talking about not pleasant things, just my default as a dancer. Yeah. Uh, and as a female, just all of it. Um, but regardless, my social life kind of crumbled and I didn't have a lot of friends or a support group in New York City. None of my family lived there. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I would be in a situation where I'd have to post on Facebook, hey, can anyone... Uh, pick me up from the ER. They won't let me leave because I can't walk and I just had anesthesia. But if someone can pick me up, I'd really love to get home. <laughs> and mm -hmm. one of my Facebook acquaintances, someone who I met kind of by happenstance through an acting audition, who wasn't that close to me at the time, was so generous to say, he emailed me and said, hey, listen, I and seeing some of your Facebook posts, it looks like you're going through a really hard time with chronic pain and all this other stuff with illness. I kind of went through a similar thing. And there's this doctor, his name is Dr. John Sarno. He, at that time, he worked at a NYU, Wayam Gone Hospital. And he wrote this book, Healing Back Pain, among others. And I read it and it helped me. And you should just check it out. And I was so past the point of thinking that there was any other hope that I'm like, sure. And I ordered it on Amazon that night, right after reading the email. As soon as it came, I instantly started reading it in bed. Mm. And uh, the big revelation that I had was that while I was laying in bed, for that brief moment, I was relatively symptom-free, just for that brief, brief moment in my weeks and days and months. And as I'm reading this book about how emotions and stress, especially repressed emotions like anger, and rage, can cause real physical symptoms and how herniated discs are not linked to pain, they're linked to age, and how all these other medical procedures have such a low statistical rate of effectiveness, mm -hmm. I started getting angry thinking about it. And while I'm laying in bed, 10 seconds, I'm, I'm fine. And then 10 seconds later, I suddenly am having nearly every one of my 20 plus chronic symptoms at once. And mm -hmm. normally I would have been able to, uh, in a bad way, try to rationalize what the physical cause was. Like, oh, it's a side effect to this medication they prescribed me. Oh, it's because I bent over. Oh, it's because I sat down. Oh, it's because of this. But in that moment, I realized 
I'm not doing anything. I'm literally not doing anything but having my emotions become more present and recognizing that. And just in that single instant, I'm a soul reader, while I'm reading the book, boom, all the symptoms that I had instantly went away and I never felt them at all for eight months after that. And then as symptoms would pop up. So, so get- stop for a minute, stop for a minute. Because <laughs> what you said, I think is a really big deal. Yeah. Um, so you, you were in bed reading this book and, and don't let me put words in your mouth, but I may call it doubling over in pain. Lying down, but yeah. Lying down. And were, were, were you crying as well at times a lot? No, I mean, like, again, this happened really quick. I don't even think I had time to cry. I was just lying down, reading late at night. Like, my goal was just to, I think I started reading at 8 o'clock, and I was near finished with it, maybe at 3 a.m. So, so when, when, when you were reading and then the pain seemed to go away, were you in the middle of a book? Do you know the sentence you were reading, or you already closed the book and, like, started thinking? I mean, what, what happened? Yeah, it's not the particular sentence. And I even reread the book recently when I was uh, preparing more videos in mind to kind of get that refresh of what was going on in my head. Yeah. Specifically, what was going on in my head is it's a similar process to, are you familiar with lucid dreaming? Absolutely. So quick story that really relates. When I was really little, I remember having this random dream in which I was at my house in Michigan, outside on a beautiful spring day, and all of a sudden a T-Rex appears and starts chasing me around and around my house. And I'm running and I'm running from this T-Rex so it doesn't kill me, and then I stop and I think, well, I'm still running at the time, and as I'm running, I'm thinking, first of all, I don't live at this house anymore, I live somewhere else. Secondly, it's not spring, it's winter. Third. Dinosaurs can't be here right now because I know enough about science to know that. And then I think, why am I still running if it can't possibly be real? And I stop. And the T-Rex stops and kind of looks at me like it's about to threaten me. And I just look at it and go, I don't know why I'm supposed to be afraid of you. You're not real. And it just goes, poof. And I just sit there for a moment. Nothing's happening and I wake up. Ever since that moment, I could lose a dream. Similarly, ever since I realized that my physical linked uh, associations to my symptoms four herniated discs, torn cartilage in both hips. I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease because the CAT scan showed intense swelling. I was reading this book that these things aren't connected and uh, poof, it all went away. And before I could even question it, I just stopped having symptoms, even though I would do the same physical action, bend over. Oh, I mean, the, the physical pain and all that was real. It's not oh, yeah. like it wasn't real. I mean, it's, you're experiencing that but you had this emotional shift that seemed to make everything go poof. A lot of people don't understand that process, how that happens. I've, I've done it myself. I've, I've helped some other people through that process as well and have seen it too. Um, to me, that's a huge aspect of you know, tension myoneural syndrome and, and what we're, we're talking about is that recognition. I mean, could you visit that a little bit and, and maybe 
explain that a little bit more to the listeners? I loved what you said about the lucid dreaming. That was such a great explanation. And I could see myself right there in Michigan with the T-Rex right there. Right, because, you know, that's so, like, normal. And it recognize that it's not and that these things don't make sense. Yeah. Recognizing that with your symptoms, that's so important. And that's kind of what I tell a lot of people and what the health professionals uh, that I work with, um, those who I collaborated with when I was making my Got Pink Hair YouTube series, and those that I'm now so honored to collaborate with at the Psychophysiologic Disorders Association, PBDA, essentially, there's several things. Pain leads to fear, and fear leads to pain, and it's a vicious cycle. But also, I was really tied into the what seemed like 100% truth that I was physically injured and physically ill with multiple different ailments and each one of those ailments was causing these symptoms because what else possibly could? Um, at one point, even though it's actually not the same thing, I couldn't figure out why I was having incontinence for a year and a half. And after going through intensive, all the tests that you do for your bladder and every organ down there, um, they said that there's nothing physically wrong with my bladder, the control mechanisms, all that, um, and that they said you have stress incontinence. Interestingly enough, that's not the same thing as tension malnural syndrome. It's implying that there's stress to the physical uh, musculature. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I heard it wrong and I reacted. They said, you have stress incontinence. And I said, I'm not stressed. And I was sobbing with my legs collapsed and unable to walk. And the doctor said, well, you know, that's just the term for it and walked out. And I was just there on the floor for another hour after. It's first of all, not being able to recognize that you're stressed at the time, not understanding what stress is. Mm -hmm. That can be really confusing for a lot of people because it's not just current stress. Um, so much of it for me and for others is past stress, past really traumatic events. Sometimes you can have symptoms based on the anniversary of it. It only in hindsight did I realize in my recovery process that the onset of my colon symptoms and failure with all my colon shutting down, bleeding and, and not working was exactly after my dad passed away from colon cancer. So mm -hmm. I was both grieving him and not processing it and also very genuinely afraid that I would have colon cancer because I was told that you needed to get screened early and I ended up having two colonoscopies at age 26 and being told, it's actually a misdiagnosis, but I was told that you have um, po multiple polyps that are benign with a germinal center that could become malignant at any moment. Um, and we don't know why you're bleeding, but as long as you don't, they literally said this, as long as you do not bleed out and die, you will be fine performing as a dancer and aerialist for nine months at sea internationally. And they sent me off uh, in that. So oh, I, I, I want to ask you a little bit of more about that, about the relationship with your father about that. Sure. Yeah, that's a big one. When, when, when what I heard you just say is that your, your, fa your father had this colon cancer condition, and you, you realized in hindsight that your condition started almost simultaneously, is what, what I heard. With yeah. yeah. And yeah. I had the same experience with my father. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, he passed in 1985, May in 1985. And the last time I saw him alive, I was pushing him in a wheelchair down the concourse of the Portland airport. He had had a couple of heart attacks and him and my mom were flying back to their home in California. And, um, you know, he had four, you know, the four coronary arteries were all plugged up and he couldn't really walk. And as I'm pushing him down the concourse, I'm thinking, God, I wish I could do something to help dad get up and walk. Mm -hmm. And it was shortly thereafter that I started getting tingling sensations in my legs and eventually developed atherosclerosis in my legs. All my blood panels were normal. They were gonna cut off my legs, all this different type of stuff. And this all happened within a year and a half of my dad passing and me having that thought. I didn't realize it right then at that moment. I realized it later, it sounds like, to you. So what, what, what intrigues me here, when I heard you say that about your connection with your dad, and your colon issues, mm -hmm. there was something there, psychological, emotional, there was some connection that's happening there. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot psychological and emotional that's happening there. I mean, a big one was that I was across the country a week away from graduating uh, with my BFA in dance in Arizona my entire family was in Michigan knowing that he was terminal and on hospice and he was about to die. Mm -hmm. My last conversation with him was a week prior on the phone where when he hung up, you know, that's last communication mm -hmm. I had. And um, so I never saw the body. And so a big part of me had a hard time really actually accepting that he was dead on an unconscious level. Yeah. Uh, for a good chunk of time after, I would have a lot of dreams that he was alive. And in those dreams, he would be alive, but terminally dying of cancer. And I would be distraught in the dream, wake up to be like, oh, no, good. He's not dying. Oh, no, wait, he's dead. And then have to perform and bend in half and kick my face and smile. And, you know, the show must go on no matter what. Uh, I held a lot in. And it's really interesting how much it's still present, whether or not you try to hold it in. People who get TMS, which I also like to now refer to as PPD, psychophysiologic disorder, because it's kind of the more the advanced clinical term, um, they're often the more strong, emotional people who have to put on a good face for others, not yeah. just themselves. So they're, you know, it's not a weakness to have emotions that cause physical symptoms. It's actually a strength because it keeps you being able to suck it up for everyone else, put on a good face for everyone else, keep going through, doing the work that you need to do no matter what. Um, and similarly, to when people get physically injured, like maybe they break their ankle, if they have a saber-toothed tiger, or in modern day, a tiger chasing them, they can keep running for X amount of time to get them to safety as it's a necessary survival skill. Similarly, if you have emotional trauma that you're not able to deal with maybe in that moment, or you don't think you can deal with, your brain is still interpreting it as life or death. It's thinking, well, I can't deal with this. So it just pushes on until you get to that point of exhaustion where you can no longer push on. And this can happen 20 years later, 50 years later, a year later, right on the same day. For me, it's April. My dad died April 12th. And so 
April's a really bad month for me sometimes. Oh, I, I finally recognize yeah. that, but yeah, it's really interesting how, yeah. you know, the mind and body are intimately connected and that's the whole story. I know you interviewed Michael Galinsky and his wonderful documentary, All the Rage, and that's mm -hmm. something that Sarno says. And Lily, that is one of the things that when I was reading in the book was like, oh, just never occurred to me. It doesn't seem intuitive at first. Yeah. Especially when you're a dancer or yeah. physically active, like a someone who does yoga or any other physical sport, you just assume that everything is purely physical. But pain, uh, science uh, studies have shown, pain is pain no matter what the source is, whether it's physical or emotional, it's still received in the frontal uh, cortex, the emotional wow. center of the brain, either way. Yeah, it's and interesting you, you say that because so when I first discovered Dr. Sarno's materials, it was in the mid-90s. And I went to Bikram in Rajashri in 98 to not become a teacher, but to help heal my body. And I remember talking to Rajashri, which was Bikram's wife. And I was talking to Rajashri, and I said, you know, who's this Dr. Sarno? What's this all about? What's TMS and all that kind of stuff? And she said, well, in yoga, that's kind of the, the science behind what we talk about. And the mm -hmm. medicine behind the emotional medical aspect or the, the emotional mental aspect of the yoga and that the symptoms come out and appear based on whatever that underlying condition may, might be emotionally, mentally, you've got this blocked energy, you're holding on to stuff, etc. And it just, it really clicks. So it really, for me, as a yoga teacher really merged together and it gave me an understanding differently um, about my practice and about my healing and about my, my being. Mm -hmm. But what, what I really would, would like to do, Jessica, I don't know if you've had any more conditions, but you've told us a lot about what's happened. Mm -hmm. I would love to really hear now more what happened when when you discovered sarno went to him or or i don't know whether you went to nicole Sachs or some of these other people as well or how your healing process really evolved and happened and then at the end what i'd like to do is maybe give a couple of ideas for the listeners that they may be able to start applying today as soon as they listen to this is something that that they might be able to do is that okay does that work for you yeah, it sounds perfect, actually. Good. Yeah, we get yeah. to the good part. The yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I, life was a lot better in early 2015 when I read Healing Back Pain and my symptoms went away, which proved that they could go away just from this. Uh, it's a biopsychosocial approach to relieving your symptoms through self-awareness, mindfulness, at the time, I didn't actually need to see any further practitioners. Mm -hmm. uh, so while now at the PPDA, I'm connected with over 150 practitioners around the world, I didn't actually have to see any one of them at that point to help treat or help me with my treatment process. Because once I had already ruled out the physical conditions of structural damage and organ disease, I could just apply the approach safely on my own. Mm -hmm. So even though it wasn't just the initial cure was instant, but what keeps it a cure is you have to do the work to maintain it. So, so for me, 
it started with the the mindfulness. I really loved Sarno's 12 daily affirmations to keep TMS away, which involved mainly the thought that I would repeat whenever I had a hint of a symptom pop up, which is usually a little bit of back pain, um, just to think psychological, not physical, recognizing that this is not due to the physical action and not due to any physical part of my body except my brain and the neural pathways, mm -hmm. which people get really uh, confused about. And I totally understand, you know, there's not just air between our ears. A brain is a vital organ and neural pathways, it sounds very confusing, but they're made up of thousands of neural brain cells. And their purpose is to help us learn and repeat behaviors and physical actions, activities, like a baby learning to walk and uh, someone learning to ride the bike, play violin, do the same tasks for their job. Similarly, you can actually learn to be in pain. You can learn to have irritable bowel syndrome. You can learn to have migraines or fibromyalgia. And it's not a conscious choice. It just, it's a learned neural pathway. So that's what the clinical research has shown. A lot of people view it as it's a really good metaphor more, uh, the idea that it's a distraction to prevent mm -hmm. you from thinking about your emotional trauma. Uh, though the science is a bit more working on that, it just views it as the somatic expression of emotion theory, which is kind of like saying it just is because it is. This is just how our bodies work. Essentially, pain is a danger signal. Yes. So you can have a danger signal be uh, that you have tissue damage and your body's trying to tell you, hey, you stepped on a nail, maybe remove the nail, get some medical attention, that would be great so we can continue living our life. Or it can be, hey, you're really upset because your dad died and you're dealing with a heartbreak or you're worried about losing your job, losing your house, dealing with a rough relationship. It's still a dangerous signal and it can cause pain or other symptoms either way. Yeah. So well, let, 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 let me ask you, I know this is a little different rabbit hole Mm -hmm. But I just want to throw it in out there because I know it's an aspect of it is the ACE study, the Adverse Childhood Experience Study. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how that, again, maybe briefly, again, that's a whole subject in itself. But mm -hmm. did, did you, in hindsight, in your life, was that something that became apparent or recognized within you? Yes, I recognize that I do have some ACE factors, though by current assessment, I don't have a lot. Yeah. However, that still completely changes the way that you perceive anything in your adulthood. Sure. Um, and you do have to often recognize that, and that takes more work. Mm -hmm. So that was not the primary cause for the majority of my symptoms. Or for you, okay. No, it, it, it's underlying it and it with ACE factors are more likely to perceive danger signals from more benign stimuli. Like we could be more anxious at a loud noise perhaps than someone else. So that's kind of where the ACE factor ties in for me. Uh, however, it was mostly due to adult trauma, losing my dad at age 20, being sexually assaulted a lot uh, mm -hmm. from starting at age 15 from multiple people, 
things like that tying into more of my adult life and what was currently happening in my life as a dancer at the time. And just also learned behavior of just associating that sitting down caused pain. And I just learned that neural pathway again, not consciously, none of this is by choice. If it was, none of us would have it. It is just, in fact, the pain itself is actually, I've heard a lot of women say, I haven't had children myself. I've had, heard a lot of women say that it's worse than childbirth because PPD pain is unlimited. Pain that's caused by neural pathways can actually be longer lasting and more intense and other symptoms, non-pain symptoms can also be longer lasting and more intense than their physically caused counterpart, yeah. which is why people should almost kind of have a sense of pride that they survived PPD symptoms when they find out about it. Yeah. And then the good news is that unlike certain other health conditions and life situations, PPD is benign, meaning it doesn't cause permanent tissue damage and it's curable. It is possible to be cured, relieved 100%, possible. Well, and that's what, what I like too. And, and um, in one of the, the notes you sent me is, you know, you're talking about managing pain for life versus cure. And I right. think that's where so many of us get caught up in is, okay, I'm going to have to manage this particular situation for my whole life. I'm going to have to take pain meds. I'm going to have to do this, 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 PT, everything else. Versus, yeah. well, what would it be like if you got rid of it? Right. And people well, that's not possible. Well, what if right. it is? Yeah. yeah. And so that's, that's I think, the, the, the hope and why I wanted to bring you here today, too, was to let people know you can stop managing pain and cure it in many, many cases. Right. Exactly. I tell this to a lot of people. Why manage a symptom when you can cure it? There's one of the takeaways I want to share, and it's not the only one if I get a chance to share more is that after I began sharing my story and sharing the clinical research about what PPD is, how it works, how to treat it, where to go to find help to treat it, a lot of people came back and said, yeah, I believe that for other people, but I don't have PPD. My symptom is caused by a real condition. I have uh, you know, migraines for XYZ reason. Mm -hmm. And I asked, okay, well, describe it. What's your life like with these migraines? And they say, oh, it's not that bad. I just have, you know, migraines all the time. It just never, ever stops. I need to take all these medications and I can never do these activities, but it's fine. It's fine. I just live that way forever and it's fine. And I asked them, is it fine? Like, how is that working out for you? Yeah. Why manage it when you can cure it? And also some people will have these other fixes that they like to go to like, oh, no, I just take these kind of herbs, or I go to this acupuncturist and I do this thing and buy this stuff and do it again and again. And I also ask, again, if it's curable, why spend money on treatments or even stuff you're doing at home by yourself? If you're spending money and time and energy on something you do not have to do, trust me, there's so many other things you can spend money and time yeah. and energy on. Yeah. And <laughs> so, it's, I, I, I want to mention something here too, because what you say is so important and you may have found this and I know Dr. Sarno talks about this too is when I've worked with uh, various students of mine over over the years 
I had to learn to be aware of when that person may have been open and when they weren't open. Because there, there's some fierce resistance to the idea of moving past the manage the pain part to the cure part. Because yeah. there's that, for whatever reason, an underlying desire, even anger at times, that yeah. this is mine, I'm going to hold on to it. And no, it, the doctor said this and, you know all of that type of thinking. Mm -hmm. So you really got to be ready for this. And, you know, Sarnos has said this and, and some of the, the other uh, doctors that work in the same type of arena that emotionally somehow we need to be open. And if somebody's not open, they're not open. But is there a way to maybe plant that seed with somebody to be open? I don't, I don't know if that's even the right question, but I think you understand what I'm saying. No, I do. And that's a lot of what I started to do as the spokesperson for TMS awareness. And that is so much of what I do as outreach director for the PPDA. Because mm -hmm. at the PPDA, we are a 501c3 health education nonprofit. And we're the only nonprofit doing the work that we do which is advancing the diagnosis and treatment of psychophysiologic disorders, which in this interview, we've also referred to as tension myoneural syndrome. Mm -hmm. And the way that we are working toward actually ending the chronic pain epidemic and opioid crisis, mm -hmm. which is possible to do, by the way, mm -hmm. the way we're doing that is mainly through education. We're increasing the number of health professionals around the world who can properly diagnose and treat PBD and raising public awareness. So not just for patients themselves, but their loved ones, anyone they talk to, just mm -hmm. spreading those seeds of knowledge because it can take a long time for that really to settle in and bloom. Sure. Education is so key because not only is, you know, education about certain other things in the world important, specifically for recovery of PPD, mind, body symptoms, you actually have to first know about the fact that the mind and body are connected in this way, know that it's normal, know that it's actually far more likely that this is the case than any other mystery cause that 2%, maybe I have this random disease thing, and know how to treat it yeah. and where to go to treat it. So education is the most important thing we need right now. And that's why the PPDA uh, is not only just working with health professionals in the public, but I kind of view it as this little triangle shaped gridlock mm -hmm. where you have professionals and the public kind of across from each other. But at the top, you have the health management and health insurance organizations. It's up to them as to what is allowed to be reimbursed. Uh, oh, so we need to get PPD as a diagnostic code on these forms that there can be more health professionals who not only know how to diagnose and treat this, but can do it in their actual uh, health practice. This is really important. So again, it kind of all three parts have to kind of shift together. Any well, one single part without the other, it doesn't quite work. Yeah, and, and I don't know what, what, how, again, there's, we could speak for days and days and days about all these things, right? There's a friend of mine, he used to be clinical staff president of five hospitals, 600 doctors. And um, he's long retired now, but even 15 years ago, we were having discussions and we were having discussions about the mind-body aspect and all that. And he said, 
they could close four out of five hospitals that people started applying this. Yet there's so much pressure, like even getting that code, if there's a, a lot of diagnosis in this area, a lot of money stops coming in for these treatments modalities that it goes both ways right that's how we're gonna fix it is not i mean the thing is there's been a lot of advancement not just over the last 50 years but over the last two to three a lot of the board members of the ppda and our colleagues have completed clinical trials known as randomized controlled trials the gold standard for the medical industry because case studies aren't enough, which is what Sarno did, but clinical trials that actually demonstrate the efficacy of our approach in treating chronic pain Mm. and other chronic symptoms through a biopsychosocial approach, the fact that it's curable, that fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome and these conditions are curable, not just manageable. And we've also demonstrated in clinical trials that the PPDA has funded that this form of emotional therapy which is often an adapted cognitive behavioral therapy or adapted ISTDP, intensive short-term psychodynamic uh, therapy, is actually more effective than any other emotional therapy. And that's never been shown before. So again, we've had these huge results. The number to treat is very low. The fact that these studies are now recently being published and another one is being published early next year that the PPDA is uh, finishing uh, some of our board members, uh, Howard Schubiner and Alan Gordon, are working on this with Tor Wager uh, in Boulder. It is in the final process of getting uh, the results properly uh, reviewed before it gets published. When these things get published, this is the convincing evidence that health insurance companies need. Before that, it was all just, yeah, but you know, we really need data. I understand they need data, but when they see the data, they will also see that it is potential to save millions for the small health insurance companies and billions annually for the large health insurance companies. And, you know, a lot of people think there's a lot of issues with uh, pharmaceutical companies. Yes, they make a lot of money off chronic pain. However, turns out a lot of health management and health insurance companies own their own pharmaceutical divisions. So Mm -hmm. it's really tied in. And while it's a bit complicated, this actually just benefits everyone, really just to have, this will just be the new medical approach. It is a whole shift. Now it could take 10 years or if the PPDA gets support, it can happen a lot faster. But we're really excited, really good things are happening and I'm so excited to be a part of it. Coming from someone who not only couldn't walk, but when I found out about the PPDA, I wrote uh, David Clark, which is uh, the president of the PPDA. In 2015, I asked, I would love to volunteer. How can I help? And they weren't even looking for volunteers at the time. And now I'm an executive level uh, outreach oh, director yeah. and, and doing this work. So I'm pretty excited. Well, you're, you're, you're such an incredible example of somebody that has healed. And, really great you know, and I think that's really important. And I, I give you huge kudos for going out there in the world and saying, hey, I want to help other people. I honestly didn't know what else to do. It just felt wrong not to do this. And for me specifically, there's so many wonderful health coaches and practitioners already. I debated going to med school and pursuing that route. But honestly, uh, with the PPDA being the only nonprofit 
And while they've been around nine years, essentially they're still in kind of a startup stage because not a lot of people know about us and the work we do. They actually know more about the work we do than they know who we are because they've been too humble. And now I'm up here and I'm not going to let them be humble anymore because the work is important. So it's really important to have a nonprofit in this space doing this work. Again, you know, we're not just charging people to help them recover, which if it works and if people go to health professionals and they can get better through this, great, by all means. I've spent so much money on nutritionists that at the time I didn't need. Um, But this is so important to just increase awareness. And this this is the goal and this is what's happening. When are you writing your book? When am I writing my book? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that'll come at some point, but I feel like uh, I love the video space. I'm a very visual person. Yeah. We actually at the PPDA have an online continued medical education course coming out in early 2019. And that'll oh. be great because right now there's about 150 practitioners listed on our website, which is the ppdassociation.org. Mm-hmm. And we want to grow that because think about it, 150 health professionals isn't enough. There's way too many people in the world. In fact, I'm not sure if you already knew this statistic. You, you may, but the viewers probably don't. About one third of all adult visits to their primary care doctor are actually PPD related. Mm. And that's huge. So again, that's why this ties in so much to hundreds of millions of people for conditions that are curable and not just. And I've, I've heard that even higher than one third. Right, because it it depends on how you look at it. That's the conservative number for what they have been able to tie in. Yeah. But that's a place so much into the fact that they, before the use of functional MRIs and higher level medical imaging tools, they couldn't actually properly assess for pain levels. It was just objective. And now it's not. So again, so much data is coming forward that we can present. I have a couple of friends that are ER docs and, you know, people do get in car accidents and all those different types of things, but they also see a larger amount of people with chronic pain, addiction issues, all sorts of different things. And I've sat down and they've said they think that that one third is probably 75%. Yeah, it really depends on what they're coming in. These are ER docs, you know. Right, right. Now I went to the ER for PPD symptoms. I went rushed there thinking I was having a heart attack, which mind you, it's always important to rule out a heart attack, whether or not you're not sure. If you're not sure, when in doubt, go to the ER. Check it out. Yeah. yeah, After wearing a heart monitor for over a month, it was very clear. I did not have any heart issues. So then at that point, if I had chest pain, I could rule it out and I could get rid of it within seconds. So again, for the last three and a half years, I haven't needed any surgeries. I never had any of the surgeries. I haven't needed to continue physical therapy. I've needed no painkillers of any kind, not even rub on icy hot, none of it. No herbal stuff, no acupuncture, massage, chiropractic, none of it. And I also don't have to waste my time doing any of it either. I just get to, I have less pain now than when I was 12 and under. It's it's really bizarre. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on there. I mean, I want to high five you because Yay, I'm, <laughs> all, mine's, all mine went away too. And if I have some like little thing come up, I go, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, whatever. And I recognize it for, for what it is, a TMS type symptom or, and it would just go away. I mean, with minutes or hours in, in most cases. But, 
Right, um, which is and- the definition of chronic. Ooh, but I do want to mention really quickly, at least, it is so important for people to know a lot of people, when they become aware of PPD, aka TMS, to a lot of communities, um, symptoms will pop up again. Dr. Sarno referred to it as the symptom imperative, and this is normal. And it doesn't mean that, oh, it didn't work. It's all fake anyway. I need to go back to this other thing or I'll never get better. It just means you're human and you just apply the same process to get better. If you have new scary symptoms, do get them checked out. But otherwise, you can continue the same process to fully recover. So that always throws people off. There's a Facebook community for TMSers, and you're a part of it. Yeah. There's so much confusion about when symptoms come back. What does that mean? Just means you're human. This is just how we're built. Turns out evolution is not always friendly to how it designed (laughs) us. Honestly, it's it's like we're a platypus in a way. So not everything's so elegant, but it makes sense on that on that level. So what 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 are briefly what are three things or three steps that somebody could take, whether it's going to the website whether it's a Facebook page, where, where can they get more information? You mentioned the PPDA, and I'll put that link up as well. Um, but briefly, what, what are three things that somebody might be able to do today? Definitely. Today, if you're hearing this, whether or not you're sure it applies to you, go to the ppdassociation.org. You can learn a lot more. You can also find a health professional who can diagnose and treat for PPD, and they will be able to tell if you do or do not have PPD. And then that way you know what your recovery options are. And then if you already know that you have PPD, if you've ruled out other structural abnormalities, uh, damage or organ disease, and you're at the point where you know that you have a mind-body condition, you just really need to internalize that and accept it. And in doing so, it's so key to reduce fear that can be really hard to do, but just focus on that part. Take it really baby steps at a time. Just reduce fear. Know that the symptoms are temporary and benign, meaning they're not harmful. I know they feel that way, but they're not harmful. So it will go away and just know that you will get better. Just knowing that can actually really help reduce the symptoms, which reduces the fear and which reduces the symptoms more and which reduces the fear more. You'll really see that just using that approach can seriously help you get better very quickly. And if you don't get better quickly, there is a therapy approach for that. And definitely don't remain stuck. That is the last part. Don't remain stuck. See a PPD practitioner, also known as a TMS practitioner, and there's therapy you can do, journaling. There are ways to get better. Don't let yourself be stuck for more than a month, which is your at-home mindfulness. And again, visiting the ppdassociation.org, we have tons of resources. We're always adding more. I have a YouTube channel as well. It's kind of linked through there. But Mm -hmm. just search Got Pain Cure as one word on YouTube or Facebook, and you can find all my stuff. And also, if you have questions, reach out to me. You can email me, info at ppdassociation.org. Find me on Facebook. Message me. I love answering questions because I've been there, and I like helping. Yeah. possible to get better and just know that like just take a moment and know that it's possible mm-hmm. mind you this doesn't apply to cancer or infections you do need to roll that out we're not saying that everything is fixable but most chronic conditions are yeah okay. it's been jessica it's been wonderful having you here today and again i know that we could go on and on and on and i would love to have you back and maybe once the ppda 
um, has this new education series out or we, we can bring you back at some point to talk about some of that. Because I think that the work is so important and your willingness to stand up and be open the way that you've been open today to really dive deep into the conditions you had, the pain that you had, the thoughts of suicide, and then what happened and how you turned that around. You know, I call that the falling down, getting up kind of thing. And I call it like, you know, the falling up secret, so to speak. And, you know, you found what, what it takes through your experience and through Sarno and, and some, some of the other people that um, you started connecting with to cure yourself, to stop managing it, you know, and to live a very vibrant life today. And that's such a great example to the listeners and to all of us that we can move past this. So again, big kudos to you for your, your willingness to be here and your being the spokesperson and, and all everything that you do for people. So thank you very much for being here. Thank you so much for having me and yeah. continue to spread messages of hope. Yeah. You can fall up, right? <laughs> yeah, you can fall up, yes. So anyway, again, um, check out all, all the different links, the gotcurepain.com, the ppdassociation.org. Again, and I'll list those out as well. Um, check out Jessica's uh, videos. I've seen probably six or seven of them, I'll say. I don't know how many you have, but I've, I've seen them, and they're really great, and they're really clear explanations of how all this works. So thank you, everybody. Again, if you got something out of this, please put a note on our Facebook page. Please share this link to other people that you might know that also might be experiencing chronic pain. Maybe it's not you, but maybe it's a loved one or a friend that could use some of this information. And again, if you want a copy of the book, Falling Down, Getting Up, fallingdowngettingup.com, get a free copy. I just asked you to pay for shipping, but it's my falling up story as well. And, and Jessica, if, if I can nudge you at all, and I'd help you get a book out, you know, putting all this stuff together, yes. um, it's possible. So we'll talk. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll talk. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, thank you very much. And uh, thank you again, Jessica, for being our guest today. Thank you so much.